Thank you for listening to the Calvary Monterey podcast. Please visit calvary.com to learn more about our church. And visit nateholdridge.com for additional Bible teaching from our lead pastor, Nate Holdridge. Teaching today is our lead pastor, Nate Holdridge. Merry Christmas, church. Great to be with you today. And, you know, if you're watching this service uh, at home uh, with perhaps your loved ones or perhaps alone, there's likely a reason that you're watching at home. Perhaps you're being safe for someone you love. Perhaps you need to take care of yourself and your own health. Perhaps you have pre-existing conditions or in a demographic that needs to uh, treat COVID a little more seriously than maybe others have taken it. But for whatever reason that you're watching online today, I just want to welcome you today and thank you for taking the time to honor the Lord by uh, considering scripture, worshiping him, and in a unique way this year, gathering together with your church family on this Christmas Eve. You know, in a sense, it feels to me like an accomplishment that we've made it to this point. I know it's not quite New Year's Eve, and I know it's not New Year's Day, and, and I know, of course, that the new year isn't going to mean that every trial or difficulty is finished with, but this has been a bear of a year. It's been a difficult time. There have been many moments of darkness in many of our lives, both in the entire world, in our nation, but in many of our church families' lives individually. And you know, I just, as a pastor, am so thankful for this church body. I'm so thankful for the congregation that I get to pastor and also simultaneously be part of uh, because you have been so encouraging this year. The strength, the resolve, the determination that you've had in the midst of lots of significant trials that we've faced and that you've faced. Uh, I am just so impressed by what God is doing in your life and so impressed by so many of you. So thank you for continuing to join together with your church family, even in these video formats. I'm so blessed that we can at least gather in this way. And I look forward to the day where uh, there are no more worries and we can gather together in total freedom, knowing that we're not endangering anyone or endangering ourselves. But I just wanted to say that at the outset to you as a Merry Christmas greeting to you for this unique year that we're in. But on the other hand, it really isn't all that unique when you consider the vast history of humanity. So many people have toiled under darkness and difficulty in so many ages. And in the New Testament, at the beginnings of the New Testament, the dawn of the New Testament era, that was one such time, a time of great darkness and pain and agony amongst humanity. Under Roman oppression, under the threat of retaliation from the most powerful military on earth and tired of what paganism and mythology had offered to the world, the world was in a hurting place, including God's people, the people of Israel. It had been over 400 years since they'd heard 
the prophetic voice of God. Many of you this year have gotten a small taste of that, being separated from your church family, separated from live gatherings. It's been difficult, and many have told me, even once they're able to come and safely gather and be live together hearing the word, how it's been different for them, how it's refreshed their souls in a different kind of way. Uh, That might be a small taste or glimmer of what Israel faced during those centuries of prophetic silence. It had been years since Malachi had prophesied and told them that one day Elijah would come before the great and awesome day of the Lord and that he would prepare the hearts of children and prepare the hearts of fathers. It was a dark moment in Israel's history, but here's the catch. Even in that dark moment, there were righteous, godly people who were waiting on the Lord. One such couple was an older couple named Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah was one of the priests in Israel, and make no mistake, this man was not going through the religious motions. He really loved God in his heart. And one day, the lot was cast, and he was chosen, likely for the only and final time in his priestly life to go into the temple of God and offer one of the daily prayers to the Lord. Morning and evening, the priests would go into the holy place and pray for the nation, pray to God, cry out to God. Now, Zechariah and Elizabeth were in their older years, as I mentioned, and Elizabeth was barren. She'd had no children and could have no children. And they, of course, had prayed to God. I'm sure it was a historical prayer. I'm sure they'd ceased praying this way before the Lord, but they'd asked God in previous years to give them a child, but the years had turned into decades and no child had come. Luke tells us that Zechariah came that day to offer his prayer on behalf of the nation to God. And as he prayed to the right of the altar of incense, an angel of the Lord stood before him. Later, this angel would reveal himself to be Gabriel himself. And Gabriel spoke to Zechariah and said, Zechariah, your prayer before God has been heard. Now, like I said, my guess, I don't know this with certainty, is that Zechariah did not go into the temple in his older years and ask God to give him a child. There's no indication in the passage that this was his hope or his expectation. But Gabriel is telling him, God has heard your historical prayer, Zechariah. And he told Zechariah that he would have a son, that he would name him John, and that John would come in the power of the Holy Spirit and come in the spirit and power of Elijah, and that he would prepare the hearts of the children and prepare the hearts of the fathers, and that he would prepare the way of the Lord. Now, Zechariah, when he heard this promise from Gabriel, he did not believe. He said, how can I have a child being that I am in my old 
age. And Gabriel could not believe that Zechariah could not believe. He said, I'm Gabriel, and I come from the presence, the throne room of God himself. But because you did not believe, you will be mute until your child is born. Zechariah left the temple. He was mute and could not speak. He had to motion to the people. They knew that some encounter with God had occurred when he was inside of the temple praying. He, of course, went home, found a way to communicate to his wife. And sure enough, she found herself with child. And for five months, she hid herself because in her old age, she was likely embarrassed and didn't want the word to get out and have to talk to people about this miraculous pregnancy. Now, six months into Elizabeth's pregnancy, Gabriel showed up one more time and came to a woman that we love and respect, a young woman named Mary, this time the opposite end of the spectrum, not an older woman who was barren like Elizabeth, but now a younger virgin who, of course, it was impossible for her to be pregnant for she was not yet married. And so Gabriel appeared to young Mary, and he greeted her. He said, greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. And Mary was troubled by this statement. Who is this being that is in my presence? Who who is this person speaking with me? Luke says in chapter one that Zechariah, when he saw Gabriel, was afraid. He feared for his life. The majesty of even one of God's angelic beings floored him, and Mary was floored herself, fearing at this greeting, afraid at what she heard. But Gabriel went on to speak to her and announced to her that she would have a child, that she had found favor with God. He said, behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and and of his kingdom There will be no end. Now, Mary responded by saying, how can this be since I am a virgin? It's not a question, it seems, of unbelief, but a question of process. How is this going to work? I've not yet known a man. I'm not yet a married woman. I am a virgin. The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And when Mary heard this promise from Gabriel, she said to him, let it be to me according to your word. She submitted to the path, the plan, the desire of her God for her life. Though it would cost her dearly, she submitted to what the Lord wanted her to do. Now, The Bible goes on to tell us that in those days, so around the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy and the first month of Mary's pregnancy, Mary traveled to a small town in Judah to visit her distant relative, Elizabeth. We're not quite sure exactly how they were related, but they knew each other. They were related 
And she had heard from the angel, Gabriel, that Elizabeth was also miraculously pregnant, and so she wanted to go see a confirmation of this thing that Gabriel had told her. And it tells us that when she walked in the house of Zechariah, she greeted Elizabeth, and Elizabeth's child in her womb leapt for joy at the mere sound of Mary's voice. And Elizabeth said, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed, Elizabeth said, that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And when Elizabeth said this to Mary, Mary opened her mouth and her heart and began to prophetically sing to God. I don't know if it was a song that she had conjured up on the long journey to visit Elizabeth. I don't know if it was an impromptu leading of God's spirit to put this song in her heart. But what I'm fairly certain of is that this song that she sang had been fed over the years by her appetite for the very word of God. Because you can't sing the song she sang unless you know the Old Testament scriptures. She said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he's looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. She went on in verse 51 of Luke chapter one to say that God has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Mary knew something about the God of Abraham. She knew that he would move on behalf of the disenfranchised, the hurting, and the poor. And she sang of it in her song, that God has sent a savior. She knew that savior was found within her womb. Now Mary stayed there in Elizabeth's home for another three months and then departed to go back to Nazareth where Joseph lived. Uh, But during that time, at that point, was the time that Elizabeth was full term, and Elizabeth had a baby boy, and they decided to name him John. But when the people asked Elizabeth what should his name be, and she said, well, his name should be John, everybody objected, because the way you did things in those days was to name someone after someone else in your family. And so they told her, they said, hey, we don't know if you got the memo, Elizabeth, but there's no one in your family named John. And so they went to Zechariah and asked him, Now, of course, he couldn't speak, so they got out a writing tablet for him, probably a wood tablet with an indentation inside of it that they'd pour hot wax into and dry the wax, and he'd take a little marker and etch out words into that wax. And he said, in that wax, his name shall be John. 
And when he wrote those words, his mouth was loosed and Zechariah began to praise God. And the people that were there that day began to spread the word about John and his birth and all the miraculous events surrounding it all throughout the countryside. This is part of how there was anticipation for John's ministry 30 years later. They knew of this miraculous birth to this little priestly couple up in the hills of Judah. And when Zechariah sang to God that day, he said, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant Israel. And in verse 76 of Luke 1, he said, and you, child, speaking to John, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So beautiful. He's singing of his own son and he's singing of our Messiah, that he would come in a day of darkness. Now that day of darkness is described by Luke as a day where Caesar Augustus was on the throne. He had ruled at that point for a period of about 40 years with an iron fist. And one of the ways that he expressed his power and his dominion over the populace was by mandating that people would return to their hometown to be registered or counted. Now, Joseph, being a descendant of David, considered it an honor to go to David's hometown, the little village of Bethlehem on the outskirts of Jerusalem to be counted. And because Mary was now his betrothed wife, Joseph determined to take her with him to Bethlehem to be counted in the census. Now I should mention about Joseph for his part that he had a few wranglings in his own spirit about the validity of this marriage to Mary. When he discovered that she was with child, Matthew's gospel tells us, he determined to end his relationship to Mary. But in the night, in a dream, an angel, perhaps Gabriel or another angel, but an angel appeared to him and said, Joseph, do not be afraid to take Mary to be your wife, for that which is in her is of the Holy Spirit. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And so Joseph, for his part, was convinced that the child within Mary was from God. I don't know that he understood the whole story, all the ramifications, but in faith, he obeyed God and took Mary to be his bride, but did not know her until after Jesus was born. Now, when they arrived in the city of Bethlehem, the city had swelled because of the census. And there was no place for them, it says in Luke chapter 2, verse 7, in the inn. And so it says in verse 7 that she had to, Mary, give birth to her firstborn son and wrap him in swaddling cloths 
and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now this is the simple and humble and beautiful birth of our Lord. There in Bethlehem, in a manger, Jesus lay. Now, it's hard for us to say with great certainty how and where this birth took place. I know in our mind's eye, many of us have a barn or a stable in our imagination, but the text actually doesn't give us that clue. The reason we come to that conclusion is because Jesus was laid in a manger. That's a feeding trough for animals. But in first century Bethlehem, oftentimes, usually, the family would bring the animals into the first floor of their dwelling place to sleep at night. And a manger would be probably brought into the home as well for the animals to eat and drink throughout the evening. And the word in that Luke uses is the same word that he uses to describe the upper room in the book of Acts where the early church prayed and gathered together. So while it's possible that Jesus was born in a barn because there was no room in the motel in town, it seems just as possible that Jesus was born in the lower level of a relative's house because there was no room in the upper room for them to stay but they were down in the lower room of the house. But there's a third potential option as well, not to confuse you and ruin all of your Christmas stories, but there's a third option as well that the early church believed traditionally for many years, and it's this. The idea is that Joseph and Mary arrived to Bethlehem, went to Joseph's relative's home, But because Mary was pregnant, and quite obviously pregnant, full term, yet they were not yet a fully married couple, the family, in shame, might have refused them entrance into their home, refused the upper room or any part of the house to them. And on the outskirts of town were caves that sheep would be born in, like little barn areas for uh, sheep to be born. And these sheep would then go on to be given as sacrifices in nearby Jerusalem. And it's very possible that our Lord was then taken and wrapped in swaddling cloths just like those sheep would be wrapped in swaddling cloths so they would be protected from any damage because you could not sacrifice a damaged animal and laid in a manger that those baby sheep would be eating and drinking from as they grew, and that he was born in that kind of anonymity. It's hard for us to say with any certainty, but I can say that Luke, in his part, was giving us a glimpse into Jesus's future and his purpose by showing us the way that he was born. You see, it's rare for a person ever in their lives to be described as being wrapped in cloth of any kind. But Luke's gospel begins and ends with Jesus wrapped in cloth, wrapped in swaddling clothes at his birth and wrapped in linen garments by Joseph of Arimathea at his death. 
at the beginning of Jesus' life, who was there? His earthly father, not biological, but his earthly father, Joseph, and his mother, Mary. At the end of his life, Luke tells us there was a man named Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man with a tomb, and many Marys, including his mother, at his cross, watching him die. And Jesus was laid in a manger, not a wood-carved manger more than likely, but because of the area they were in, likely a feeding trough hewn out of the stone. And his life, the end of Luke tells us, Jesus was, after he was crucified, buried in a hewn-out stone grave. And so I think even Luke is showing us a glimpse into where Jesus' life is going. He is headed straight to the cross, even from day one in his life, straight to the moment that he will be buried because he suffered and died for us. Well, that night, as this little couple enjoyed their brand new baby, whether it was in the bottom story of a family home or in a stable in town or in a cave on the outskirts of town, They celebrated this baby boy. And it says in Luke chapter two, verse eight, that in that same region, there were shepherds who were watching their flocks out in the field, keeping watch over them at night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them. We started our service today with Bree reading these verses. And the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with fear. And the angel said, fear not for behold, I will bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you that you'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now the angels announced to these shepherds that if they went into Bethlehem and found the baby who was wrapped in swaddling cloths, they would see the Messiah. So they went into town to see if these things were so and found Mary and Joseph. Perhaps this is another clue as to where Jesus was born, the swaddling cloths, the manger. Perhaps the shepherds went to the site where they knew that sheep were born in conditions like that. But they went to that place, found little baby Jesus, shared these things with Joseph and Mary. And Mary, it says, treasured these things in her heart. These shepherds received the glorious message, as Bree shared earlier, of the gospel. They received a glorious message and were told what to do, given directions. And at Jesus' death, new shepherds, the apostles, they would receive a glorious gospel message and were told what to do by the angels at the ascension of Christ. You see, God was preparing his son for the death so that he might be our substitute to give us life. I'd like to close with a very simple scripture from the book of John, chapter one. John chapter one, verse six, says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. 
He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but were born of God. This is what Jesus came to do. Let's rejoice over him this Christmas, church. I hope you have a wonderful day tomorrow, but remember, Jesus in the midst of all of it. Can I pray for you? God, I thank you for our church family. Bless your people this day as we celebrate who you are in the midst of everything else. Help us rejoice that you are the light that broke into the darkness. We love you for that, Lord, and celebrate you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like more teachings and information about Calvary Monterey, please visit calvary.com. You can also find books, teachings through the Bible, and articles from our lead pastor at nateholdridge.com. Thanks again for tuning in. See you next week.